Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a at a point right now where they're I think clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history, uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. This league is insane. Yeah, it might be like one of those eighth wonders of the world. <laughs> and you can see just what a great group of five conference it really is. It, it's a big deal. Boy, life is looking pretty good in the Sun Belt these days. Very excited about the Sun Belt. We started the Sun Belt uh, back in '76, and I'm I'm very proud of what has transpired through the years. You know, while other conferences have been breaking up, our conference has become stronger. Edit that out, Dusty. Welcome back to the Fun Belt Podcast. With me, as always, is Dusty Thibodeau from the Warhawk Report and Ben Moore from Panther Talk. Ben, it's good. To... Ben, did you Dusty, offend him again? I don't know. Is it something I said, Dusty? Did you say something? I mean, I showered. Isn't that, isn't that enough? I started wearing clothes to the podcast and. And and try to you know watch the things I've said about the Panthers and and still he's not here tonight. Thus, it's game on. <laughs> Maybe we'll get him Wednesday. You know, I, I hear we have a special guest Wednesday. I'm not going to reveal who that special guest is because who knows? It might, it, but it might fall through. I'm just saying we should probably just be careful about promoting it because it's such a big guest. I wonder if if if. Other podcasts have issues where guests are like, hey, I'll be there. And then there's crickets. I imagine. Yeah. I mean, it can't just be us. In fact, it's our, it hardly ever happens to us, Dusty. I mean, it does. We can't even get our own show people to show up. <laughs> yeah, but okay. Well, that's different. You know, that's Ben Moore. He's the famous Ben Moore. We are just average Dusty Thibodeau and average Jeremy Harper. We don't belong in the same atmosphere as Ben Moore. You know what, though? What's it that? We have to drink a beer. And, and you know, oh, what beer talked, are you drinking? We talked a while back yeah. about wanting to drink beers from around the Sun Belt. Uh huh. Monroe based Flying uh-huh. Tiger Brewery stepped up and sent me some Warhawk beer. Holy hell. It supports a scholarship at ULM, it's a good beer. When we finally get together for a yeah. little A-State ULM game, we got to go hit up some Flying Tiger and get some more Warhawk beer, and I'll convert you to being a Warhawk fan. All right. Is it is it a Pilsner? Is it a lager? What are we having? This is a Pilsner. They have a wide variety of beers, though. Yeah. My favorite, obviously, the Warhawk beer. They have a milk stout. They're doing some collaborations right now with some tequila-based mm. and some whiskey barrels coming cool. soon because they're celebrating their five-year anniversary. But check them out online, flyingtiger.com. All right. Now, there's rumors floating around. It's been floating around for a little while. And I don't know if it's ever come to fruition that there is also a Red Wolves beer in the works. So if maybe next time, maybe next time we have the podcast, maybe I'll bust out a few cans of this Red Wolves beer, if it actually exists. And then we can sort of virtually toast. And then when we meet, we can have a ceremonial exchange of uh, campus beers. And I did see on Twitter, there's a Yusuf L as well. So we got to figure out a way to get that from the Appalachian area down to South Texas, as well as Arkansas, so that we can toast, sample, and give our two-cent opinion on the beer. But Warhawk beer from Flying Tiger, I definitely, thumbs up, I like it. See, if we were smart, we would find a way to work this into the show where people felt compelled to send us a six pack of beer and we would try it and sort of like live taste test it on air 
And of course, always give it a positive review because one, we don't know any better. We just want to drink beer. And two, it's just a nice thing to do. If someone sends you some beer, you should, should say nice things about it, right? Uh, it depends. I mean, if I sent you some good old, well, bad example, because I love PBR. But yeah. if I sent you some PBR, would you really say good things about me? Oh, definitely. I love PBR too. But let me ask you this, Dusty. Before we, we, we talk about Sunbelt football and bowl games and dive into basketball, which I'm actually very excited about, what is the worst beer you've ever had? Before I get into that, because I have a quick and easy answer for that, I misspoke their website. It is flyingtigerbeer.com. Flying flyingtigerbeer.com. Gotcha. Worst beer I've ever had, without a doubt. It's a New Orleans-based beer, Dixie beer. It comes <laughs> in a green bottle. Uh-huh. And I, they advertise, you know, made on the banks of the Mississippi River. I picture in my mind because of how bad this beer was. They have like this contraption with all the bottles on it and they yeah. dip it into the river and then quickly stamp the cap on it because wow. that's exactly what it tastes like is nasty, <laughs> horrible Mississippi river water. Uh-huh. The worst beer I had when I was growing up, when I was a kid, my grandfather, uh, we, I grew up in Southern Illinois. My grandfather drank one kind of beer. It was called Stag. It came in a gold can, and it had this, this mighty elk-looking thing on it with the big horns, and the Stag uh, font was a sort of sort of gothic font. It was really just a cool classic can. And growing up, I always wanted to be a Stag man. So finally, you know, I got of age. I couldn't actually buy Stag because it wasn't available in Arkansas. Finally found a place that sold stag. I bought a six pack of stag and it was absolutely the God awfulest beer I've ever had. I couldn't even finish the six pack and that's unheard of for me. I'll finish anything. But the stag was probably the worst beer I ever had. And I think it might be. I think the reason why my grandfather drank it is because it was bad beer and nobody was going to bum a can of stag from him. I think that was probably his, his sort of strategy with that that he would get to keep every can of stag because nobody wanted a can of stag that's why i drank the high life in college nobody would touch it even though it was a champagne of beers everyone would just you know leave it alone that is the second worst beer i've ever had those are fighting words jeremy if you think ben bailed on you for what you said i'm gonna bail on you right now for that but for whatever reason ben bailed on us we would like to know but if that makes you bail on me then so be it because that six pack of high life the champagne of eight pack (laughs) mine was a six pack lasted the longest amount of time in my refrigerator i ended up finishing it but it was it was a tough sell for me it was it was tough haul to finish the high life (laughs) eight pack of ponies they never get hot i do like the ponies you know the just just the shape and the and the size of them so those are good you know you can you can like you could play a match of tennis and then swig one down and then play another match. And it was just right. Yeah. I'm not playing tennis. So yeah, okay. I, I can't you relate to your story. I'm sorry. You, you shouldn't do that. One thing we can relate to that you and I can both relate to is not being in a bowl game. That is correct. No Warhawks, no Red Wolves. We can just totally chillax this bowl season and enjoy bowl season for what it is, an extravaganza of football. That we can watch just for the hell of it, just for the for the camaraderie, the, the sportsmanship. That we can root for teams that we don't normally root for. We can we can we can just enjoy the pageantry that is American football, and it's kind of coming up for the Sun Belt, almost like uh, within. I, I, it's hard to say within hours, but yeah, kind of within hours. The Cure Bowl, Friday is it Friday night? It is Friday afternoon, Friday night. So the Chumps and the Dogs of Northern oh, Illinois. Yeah. yeah. You know, here's one thing I know about the Mac is that they are always, like, they seem to be hardened by the cold weather. I, I, we, I know as, as, a, as, as a citizen of the Red Wolves, we have never played a soft Mac team. They're always tough. And I have a feeling NIE is going to come out just as tough as they always come out against the Sun Belt teams. Do you have any real thoughts on this NIU, the, who is the champion of the MAC versus 
Coastal Carolina, who is in a lot of ways, and you may not agree with this, the people's champion of the Sun Belt. No doubt. I think if you ask people who won the Sun Belt, they would say the chance. <laughs> I I haven't seen where anybody's holding out of this game for Coastal Carolina. So with that said, I think this is the same Coastal Carolina that we saw throughout the season. The yes had a, a couple of hiccups there um, with Georgia State and Appalachian State. Yeah. But I still think this team is going to roll over anybody. I think if you replay those games, it's probably going to be a split that Coastal Carolina would beat Appalachian State this time. They would beat Georgia State this time. This game, easy win. Not easy, but a win. Now, if if our good friend Ben Moore was he might say that this is Grayson McCall's last game. But you know what? I don't know what your thoughts on this, Tibbs. I want to know. But I don't think this is his last game in Coastal Carolina. In fact, I think we're going to see another full year of Grayson McCall at Coastal Carolina. And I can't explain why. It just feels like Grayson McCall is very comfortable at Coastal Carolina and would prefer to have that one more season beneath his belt. I think the fact that Jamie Chadwell is coming back mm-hmm. means Grayson McCall is coming back. I think if he would have taken a job elsewhere, yeah, we would not see Grayson McCall again next year. We probably would not see him in the bowl game. With that said, I think he's coming back. But if I had his ear, I would definitely be whispering in there to move on to the money-paying NFL while you can. Because, as you know, playing football, I mean, you're always that one snap away from being done. Absolutely. And, and, and so capitalize while you can. Yeah, I begrudge no one who says, yeah, I'm going to skip the bowl game. I'm going to go into the draft. I begrudge that to no one. I, I do feel like, though, that some, especially quarterbacks, some quarterbacks need to hang on for that extra year of seasoning. You look at, at, at some quarterbacks, like Trevor Lawrence, for instance. I don't know if he was ready. Maybe could have used another year. I don't know. But I will say this, is that I do think Grayson McCall comes back. You could be right. It could be a mistake, especially this year with, with this not being a great draft. This is not going to be a super draft. And Grayson McCall might actually stand out pretty good in a draft like this. So if he leaves, I think that's great. If he stays, I think it's great for the Sun Belt. I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little selfish, Dusty. I want him to stay. I want one more crack at this guy. Well, and, and, and I want one more year of really having uh, the premier quarterbacks that you could have because you would have Grayson McCall back, obviously. Uh, Chase Bryce said he's coming back. Absolutely. And, and, and so we, we still get to have Lane Hatcher just wearing a different uniform. We'll talk about uh, that. Yeah. Um, but you know, you really keep the core of the quarterbacks that have really kind of helped put the Sun Belt in on the map. Speaking of putting the Sun Belt on the map, Boca Bowl follows the Cure Bowl on Saturday when Appalachian State takes on Western Kentucky, former citizen of the Sun Belt, Western Kentucky. So there's kind of a Kind of a, there's a little bit of history in a way with Western Kentucky and the Sun Belt. And there were some thoughts that maybe Western Kentucky would like to come back to the Sun Belt. And that the Sun Belt was like, <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. You had your chance, buddy. But that being said, Western Kentucky, very interesting matchup with Appalachian State. In that Western Kentucky has this, this, this prolific quarterback whose name suddenly escapes me. Zaps? Zaps. Yeah. Zappy. Zappy, yes. Just just a dynamic guy. It's just just breaking yardage records left and right. And you put that Western Kentucky offense against that stout Appalachian State defense, that's going to be a pretty good game, Dusty Thibodeau. That's a game that even if you don't care about the Sun Belt, you might say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to check this one out. Well, I was going to check it out anyway. Well, um, yeah, I mean, it goes without saying. I'm just trying to build some – some 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 mystique around this game. I like Appalachian State in this game, but 
Western Kentucky has bigger things to play for right now after their community, their college was leveled recently mm-hmm. by those tornadoes that I think they go down to the Boca Bowl and kind of win one for the Gipper there for old Big Red mm. and pull out the upset for the community. And I would be perfectly okay with that. You know what? And that actually puts Appalachian State in the, in the sort of a, the villain seat in a way, doesn't it? Because the nation's definitely going to be pulling for Western Kentucky, right? You have to. You have to be pulling for Western Kentucky. It's kind of like New York Yankees back when, uh, after 2000, or during 2001, he wanted to see that New York, New York Met series, right? To get it back on track, you're going to want to see Western Kentucky uh, represent the community. That might be some bad news for Appalachian State. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, obviously it can go one of two ways that either they do kind of rally around the community and, and play it for the community or kind of their mind is elsewhere, rightfully so. Yeah. I think that the the coaching staff, and especially with Bowl Week kind of being an entire week while you're down in Boca, I think that they're removed. I think that they're separated, a little bit focused, and, and are able to kind of use it as a rallying point for the community as opposed to uh, being distracted by it. So last week, I know I said Appalachian State. I thought that they were hands-down winner, but I, I really think that that's going to be the X factor and really push uh, Big Red over the top. You know, I remember a couple of years ago when Arkansas State played uh, Georgia and uh, Arkansas had head coach uh, Blake Anderson, his wife, Wendy, was in the middle of fighting breast cancer. And Georgia did, the fans did a beautiful tribute by unfurling a huge banner that said, we're with you, Wendy, that kind of thing. And all the, everybody cheered and a lot of people wore like pink ribbons in honor of Coach Anderson's wife and opponent at the time. Now, they ended up just destroying and clobbering Arkansas State that day. They didn't, After all the tributes were done, it was like business as usual. So hopefully Appalachian State, the, the, the team and the, and, the, and, the, and the program and the organization kind of understands what they're getting into here, can kind of join forces with the community of Western Kentucky and Bowling Green and uh, – and, and find some way to make a very special moment of this and then play a great game of football. I, let's just hope that's what happens. Yeah, and then the nightcap there afterwards is going to be a great football game there where you have Louisiana Lafayette playing Marshall in the New Orleans Bowl. I, I think that this is kind of a coming out party from Michael DeZorma, the new head coach there, and really an audition for those assistant coaches wanting to land spots on the staff because he hasn't announced any coaches at all. He did say that he would be calling the plays with mm-hmm. coach and now football analyst for the Cajuns. Matt Viator would be in the, in the booth oh. uh, talking to him down on, on the field. Yeah but he hasn't really named anybody on his staff yet. So I, I got the feeling that this is kind of an audition and, and, and kind of seeing how focused these assistant coaches can get that team as well as how well they execute in this pretty big ball game, because you got to remember that, that the Cajuns are going to recruit in that new Orleans area. And so what better way to kind of expose your product than right there in these potential student athletes backyard. You know, DiGiorno, too, is that this is his opportunity to say, hey, you know, Napier did great things for Louisiana and the Cajuns. He did a great job. But listen, I was part of that coaching staff, too. I'm taking the reins, and we're not going to miss a beat. So he has a great opportunity here to show a lot of people what he can do. But also, this is another matchup with some Sunbelt nuance, right? Kind of almost the opposite nuance from the uh, Western Kentucky Appalachian State game is here is now we're welcoming Marshall into our fold. Marshall will become a Sunbelt team. And, and so there's, there's like those clever guys from the, uh, from the organ, uh, from the bowl. Uh, I don't know. I, I imagine they, they all sit around in wood paneled offices, smoking cigars and coming up with these matchups. Here's another matchup that has, more than just one meaning for for the game. It's not just a matchup between Marshall and the Cajuns. It's a march a matchup of future 
Sunbelt powerhouses. We're almost getting a little preview of what's to come, perhaps as early as the year 2022. Yeah, I, I would like to think that Keith Gill is in attendance of this game. And when they do their offseason scheduling, that the Cajuns would open up either hosting or going to Huntington, West Virginia to play Marshall to induct them into Sunbelt Conference play. I, I think that that would be a good thing because win or lose, you know, there's going to be a lot of storylines of, oh, well, we shouldn't have lost a bowl game, you know, and so we got to make up for it or we beat them. We got to show them it wasn't a fluke. We're going to do it again. And, and, and so I really like that they are coming into the league potentially in 2022. And that if, if I had my way, that's that's the, the Sunbelt season opener for the Cajuns and the Thundering Herd. That would be awesome. It's almost like the, the Sunbelt can't lose this game. You know, the Cajuns win, it's a win for the Sunbelt. If the Marshall wins, ah, it's kind of a win for the Sunbelt. We'll take it. Nothing's no, a win for CUSA. They'll still have Conference USA on the jersey, so they, they definitely have to lose this game. <laughs> All right. Enough, enough talk about the Bulls because the Bulls, we don't get to be in a bowl game, Thibodeau, but we are in another game. Uh... The game of recruiting. And that is the most important game there is. I know that you're knee deep in recruiting right now, but I want to ask you something because I have a feeling you pay attention more to this than most mortal men. What the hell is with this portal? It is bulging with talent right now. It's sucking up talent from some teams and some lucky teams are going to be pulling some good talent out of it. I think it really comes down to the NCAA putting the waiver out there that you don't have to sit out the year because mm-hmm. it used to be so exciting that you would land this quarterback. He's going to be the savior of our program in two years. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to wait. But now that guy is the immediate impact player for your team. And I think that's why you're seeing guys leapfrog so much in and out of the portal. It's eventually got to stop though, because the rosters are just not sustainable I think immediately to Florida International that was down to, I believe, 60 players on scholarship, you can only sign 25 guys. Right. So that puts you maybe, if everyone stays eligible, at 85 scholarships. But then if everyone graduates again, it's just a big perpetual cycle that you can't ever get back to where you need to be. And so they've got to – the NCAA has got to do something – to curtail guys jumping in and out of the portal, putting back in that year of sit out if if you transfer laterally. Um, yeah, or is it? Do you get one transfer, one portal jump, and that's it? Or is there? Because some some of these guys are just portal hopping. You know, they're in in it at the start of the year. They're back in it at the end of the year. I don't know if that's good or bad for football. I. Honestly, there's not enough data to support either one, but I was wondering if you could clear up something for me, uh, Tibbs, that I, you might not have an answer for, but maybe some insight. You know, Bo Nix, for instance, out of Auburn, and then that Martinez out of Nebraska. Longtime starters at quarterback for both of those kind of storied programs, Auburn and, and Nebraska, that leaving, getting into the transfer portal, where are they going to get better opportunities than they, they had from where they're leaving i don't understand that i mean is it simply because they've been in there a while and they see the writing on the wall and a younger person's coming in are they being pushed by their coaches to get out or is there something else that i'm just not seeing i think for at least one of those guys and i i won't drill down into the particulars i think it's a personality clash that there's a lot of personalities clashing that keep them from being as successful as they need to be at that school or propelling them. At one point they were benched because they just were not able to really live up to the expectations that were there only to then be turned back to. And, you know, it kind of opened that door of, well, you benched me. So obviously I'm not good. Why, Why are you coming back to me now? And then I think in the other situation, I, I think that the, the instability and uncertainty of how long a coach is going to be there before he jumps for a bigger, better opportunity Mm -hmm. or is told to go look for a bigger, better opportunity. 
really plays a factor because even though you always tell kids recruit to the uh, commit to the school or, you know, <laughs> to, to where you want to be, they commit to a coach. And when exactly. that coach isn't there, they have nothing else to play for there. So they're left looking for a new home. Yeah, that makes sense with Bo Nix because Bo Nix came in with Hugh Freeze. No, not Hugh Freeze. Gus Malzahn. And then now you've got this new head coach and Brian Harson. They didn't, they kind of clashed a little bit. And now Nix is like, all right, maybe I need to, to find some other pasture, which reminds me, Thibodeau, of a certain thing that's happened in the Sun Belt. Something near and dear, closer to me is that long time. <laughs> we, is he the starter? Is he the duo starter? Is he the backup? But Lane Hatcher, who's through for a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns, entered into the portal after a season with Butch Jones at the helm and is now scheduled to sign with my hated rival, the Texas State Boobcats. Tibbs, what do you think of that? So does that mean McBride's out? I don't know. That's a good question. I was wondering that too. Is is was is McBride moving on? Is is Britt McBride being benched? Is 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 Lane Hatcher coming to sit behind McBride because he's kind of used to that kind of situation? I don't know. I I I, I might hate Lane Hatcher if he's going to unseat McBride. <laughs> that McBride is your favorite non ULM player. We all know this. I mean, I, I, I'm hurt and shocked. No, I, you know, look, I mean, if it's the right opportunity for him, the right fit, good for him. If yeah. he can come in and, and Jake Spavadol thinks that that's what's the missing piece to get them up to six, seven wins to be bowl eligible and potentially go into the postseason, good for him. I think that there's a lot riding on this upcoming season, though, for your beloved boob cats and, and, <laughs> whether or not that they are really competitive in the Sunbelt West and trying to get over that hump to, to get to a bowl game, because I don't think they necessarily have to win it all, but I do think that they have to go to the postseason in order to save his job. Absolutely. Uh, this is the, the <laughs> I thought this was the make it or break it season season for Spavadol, but I guess it's not. So I'm just going to go ahead and push it to 2022 and say, 2022 is the seat, make it or break it season for Spavadol, Jake Spavadol to do something at Texas, Texas uh, uh, State. But uh, actually, one thing that, that is interesting to look at the portal is that you'll see teams like Arkansas State, who has, depending on who you talk to, either 11 or 15 people in the portal. It's kind of hard to count. You got Georgia State with a lot of guys in and out. Uh, but Texas, no, one want, no one wants to leave Coastal. They have zero in the portal. No, Coastal, in, in fact, has a really good recruiting class, too. So they're going to be in good shape. But here's the thing about our I, – I can't speak for other teams, and I really aren't – really not even qualified to speak for Arkansas State. But I do know that in the terms of Arkansas State, there is a bit of a house cleaning going on and that there is now a, a sort of who's going to be Butch Jones's guys. And the guys that are leaving – are clearly just not Butch Jones' guys. And Lane Hatcher was one of those guys. Lane Hatcher was like, he was not named the starter at the beginning of the season, which was a huge surprise to a lot of people. Why not Lane Hatcher? Why isn't he starting? But last season, it was like, why isn't Lane Hatcher starting? Why is he sharing uh, sharing time with a barner? So it was, Lane Hatcher has always had some kind of uh, obstacle to start. And I, I think he had an opportunity to get into uh, Butch Jones's good side with some some things that fell in the place for Lane Hatcher to where he could start. And then at the end, he just threw too many interceptions. He threw so many picks, it was incredible. So Hatcher's gone. He threw for a lot of uh, yards. He threw for a lot of touchdowns. But clearly, they're just moving on another direction. I think he can look at a lot of this portal movement and say it's some of these teams are just looking to move into another direction. But what does that do for the expectation at Arkansas State? Does that mean this year's kind of a wash because Butch Jones has to kind of clear up the scholarship spots to get his players in? And and how long is that patience on the back end? I mean, are you giving him instead of giving him the five years, now you're giving him a six year? 
I, a, lot of, a lot of fans have actually been pretty, pretty cool with the process. You know, at first there's a lot of grinding of teeth. What is happening on the field? This is an A-State football. Everything's going to hell in the handbasket. Uh, then when you sat down and you realized that there were no players on the preseason, uh, all Sunbelt teams for uh, Arkansas State, and then the, the, the season ended, there were a couple Sun, uh, Red Wolves players and they were all new guys that Butch Jones had brought in. It was like, okay, we see here that, that we just didn't have the talent. We're not catching up. We're not keeping up with some of these other programs in the Sun Belt in terms of talent. And that's what Jones is here to do. You know what's funny about Jones is he could be end up one of these coaches who does all the dirty work, you know, takes all the, the publicity hits, you know, cleans up the house, does all that work that everybody doesn't appreciate. Year three, he's still not winning, gets fired. The guy come, next guy who comes in gets this glorious situation where everything's cleaned up for him, wins the whole thing, and he's going to look like he's the guy that did it. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happened with Butch Jones, but I'm happy Butch Jones is doing what he's doing now because the program really did need a new perspective. Even though, hey, congratulations, by the way, to Coach Blake Anderson out in the Mountain West. Did a great job with uh, Utah State. I hope he can maintain that. We mentioned earlier, though, about Texas State. Last year, they were all transfer portal and one high schooler. I think it's interesting that when we look at it, they already have four guys already wanting back out again, and they've now landed two guys, obviously Lane Hatcher and then the Cajuns defensive lineman, Dominique Ratcliffe, has committed Mm -hmm. to the Bobcats and is expected to sign on Wednesday with them. You know, you you and – because you and Ben – have your fingers on the pulse of, of that lifestyle, that recruiting lifestyle than I have. You guys said something very interesting to me at the beginning of the season about the Bobcats, and that's they're probably really pissing off those Texas uh, area high schools. That How can you build a relationship with those guys if you're not taking any of the players? And now maybe, maybe Spavadol and his crew are at a point where Hey, nobody even wants to talk to us. Nobody even wants to, to give us an inside scoop on a player because uh, they know that the Bobcats aren't shopping for for uh, for kids to put on scholarship out of high school. They're shopping for nothing but but uh, transfer. So I'm, I'm wondering if the Bobcats, in a way, are are are, are kind of positioning themselves to be a a program that's sort of on an island when it comes to recruiting. Maybe the only people they can recruit now are malcontents from other teams. Well, and, and that's, that's possibly part of the issue, but I think that he wants the maturity. He doesn't want the 17 to 19 year old fresh out of high school. Mm-hmm. That's never had to play disciplined football, never had to really balance the student athlete life, as opposed to these guys that have already been there, done that, and they're just looking to be able to get on the field, so they're going to be more motivated and, and push themselves more to get on the field quicker. I think that's the bigger driving factor than, than really closing the doors to all the high schoolers. I, I do think that short-term, so maybe this recruiting cycle, you'll see another heavy transfer portal mm-hmm. for Texas State, provided Spavadol's around for another year. I think you'll see it kind of – scale back and go to a 50-50 mix of transfer and high school guys as you try to build that depth so that you don't have, you know, all 85 guys, for instance, uh, graduating in one year. You you, you kind of have that normal, you know, five to ten guys graduating every semester. But don't you think, Dusty, that, that jumping into the portal is a little bit like committing murder? Like once you've committed one murder, you've done the first murder? that committing murder again is a lot easier. So isn't it kind of like what's happening at Texas State? You're, you're getting a bunch of guys who've already committed that one portal jump. And for them, the second portal jumps much easier. They're just like, ah, well, I'll just jump somewhere else. Aren't you really just making your program into sort of an, an island of mercenaries instead of a, a nation built from the ground up? Yes, I, I, I see exactly what you're saying, but at the end of the day, these guys have riders in their contracts where they have to be competitive, win these games, win conference championships, and it's it really turns into a win any way that's legally possible. And for right now, the portal is the legally way to, to go and do that. Bottom line, that's where it counts. I understand that. That's probably what Jake's thinking. 
I got to get some bottom line results. And I don't care if these guys are bleed gold and maroon. I need these guys to score some touchdowns. I get that. So speaking of loyalty, Sunbelt wasn't very loyal to a long time program. A program that's been with the Sunbelt for 30 years. I am talking about the Little Rock Trojans who are now entering the Ohio Valley Conference, which if we can just step back from it, Tibbs, probably is the best for everyone. It is the best. Uh, you know, the Sunbelt's really shifted into being a football-minded conference, unlike in the past. And, you know, Cliff Ellis even kind of alluded to that when we had mm-hmm. him back several episodes. Um, back when this was a basketball, baseball-only uh, conference, yeah, it, it, it was the better of the conferences. Truthfully, I think Little Rock going to the Ohio Valley is is probably a better move for them. I think it's a better level of competition right now in basketball. I think it it fits them geographically, so they're still not being as as, uh, spread out as they would maybe in the Sun Belt or if they had joined the WAC or, you know, anything crazy like that. I think it's it's probably even a step up for them. Maybe. You know what? I, I don't I, I don't know if I can go as so far as to say it's a step up. It might be the right step, but it might be sort of a sidestep. It might be more of a comfortable step. But I do feel like there's probably people within the 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 UA Little Rock organization that's a little bummed by it. That's simply because they're losing some old rivalries, including with Arkansas State and some of the others. But the Sun Belt is a conference on the rise. And football, as much as you, you know. If you're a basketball school, as much as you might, you know, not really care about football, that halo that comes with the football fame and stuff really helps basketball, too. And I know that UALR had been hoping at some point, even the field of football team, you know, they looked into it. They, they, had, the, they had the big report out. They had the consultants. They, they crunched the numbers. And when they crunched the numbers, they found that fielding a football team is astronomically expensive. I mean, the cost associated with football is so mind-boggling that they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to have a wrestling team instead. <laughs> so that's what they did, which is fine. But now we lose UALR and probably going to lose uh, 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 UT uh, Arlington. Haven't and, heard anything about the Mavs, though. I haven't either. You know, I, I expected to hear something, but they've been very quiet. They've been very mum. Yeah, I, I, I mean – Little Rock is out July 1st, 2022. Done. Yeah, they couldn't wait to get it. Yeah, and 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 so that's going to leave an imbalance in the league. The only thing I could think of is that maybe James Madison won't be able to join the league next year, and so mm-hmm. that's where they're keeping that balance yeah. is, is kind of leaving UTA in the league to try to keep us at 14 as much as possible. But – at the end of the day, you still got to kind of have a plan of, of what about 23? Where, where are you going? What are you doing? Because 23 is when James Madison, assuming that's who it is, yeah. would, would be in the Sunbelt Conference. Yeah. So, and I have to believe that somebody's going to want UTA, uh, some kind of uh, smaller basketball or more, more. I keep saying smaller. The right word for, for I think these conferences are boutique conferences in that they specialize in, in, in basketball or they specialize in, 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 in another kind of sport. Like you, you talk about the Ohio Valley or you talk about the Mid-Atlantic or, or some of these others, you know, they specialize in basketball. I feel like UTA is a perfect uh, school for these type of boutique conferences. And uh, I, I just don't see I, you seem to be saying, well, UTA is kind of cooperating. Say, OK, we'll we'll help. We'll hang out here for a while and help you that with that transition. I don't know why they would would, would feel that magnanimous. Why would they even want to want to help out? I don't know who wants them. I mean, obviously, Little Rock had the interest to be able to jump and join yeah. the Ohio Valley as quick as they did. You would automatically say maybe UTA can just uh drop to the I say drop I mean they're a D1 conference just like the Sun Belt when it comes to basketball but move over to the Southland conference but the Southland has become really a football driven conference as well so then you have the WAC the WAC is kind of football driven in their infancy as well 
So I don't know if there is a home out there for UTA. Yeah, you know what? I had like these goofy hopes that Little Rock would somehow get into the uh, Atlantic 10. <laughs> I don't know. It's not like the Atlantic 10 was looking for anybody. I don't know why I was thinking that, but I thought that would have been kind of cool. So I get, I don't know where Arlington goes. I, I, I feel like they got plenty of infrastructure to go somewhere. Or you know what? Maybe they surprise us all, Tibbs, and then all of a sudden sport a football team and we're just forced to people. Uh, I'd, I'd be okay with that. I mean, Arlington right. is, is definitely not bad. I think yeah. maybe maybe the most logical thing would be for them to drop down to D2 where they have a bunch of schools there in that area with the Lone Star Conference being largely in the in the Texas footprint. Um, you know, Dallas Baptist is right there. So you kind of have that rivalry with them as well. Good baseball at UTA, good baseball at Dallas Baptist. So to me, maybe that's where they they see themselves fitting in and, and they just haven't kind of announced that intention. Really don't know because, like I said, we haven't even heard speculation of what they're going to be doing. Speaking of Division Two, well, actually, that's a terrible segue, but I'm going to use it as a segue anyway, Tibbs. Did you see this thing that happened today, this murder that took place? I wanted to call the police. Georgia Southern, 133. Carver, I don't even know who Carver is. 15, women's basketball game this afternoon. 133 to 15. What the hell happened? Why, why are women's basketball games allowed to be that lopsided? I feel like on the men's side, if, if, if a score got like that, we would be going, did you see the fight between Carver and Georgia Southern? <laughs> but, but women's basketball, they're just kind of like, Eh, it, it it happens. Yeah, I, I don't mean, know. You know, I, I don't know it, how you prevent something like that from happening. Because clearly, I think at the third quarter, it was 99 to 9. I think that was the third quarter, uh, uh, how it ended at, at the third quarter. You would think at some point, like somebody might say, hey, listen, this game is comically disproportional. And th- th- this matchup, was ill-advised from the start. Let's just go ahead and call it a game here because right now we've got 2,500 people here who apparently were mostly kids. I guess it was some sort of invite schools over to watch the game. Is this how they're going to see sportsmanship? This this much better team just completely clobbering an undermatched, underskilled, under-talented team in Carver? What, what? what lesson is that, Tibbs? What's the meme? Y'all want to see a dead body? That's what they saw. It was true domination by Georgia Southern, with, without a doubt. Uh, Carver had 49 turnovers, leading to 79 Eagle points. The Eagles shot 60% from the floor. Carver shot 12. 12. Now, the reason, Tibbs, why I led our basketball discussion with women's Georgia Southern and Carver is sort of to underscore or to lead in or to soft launch this idea of what's going on with Sunbelt basketball is that the competition that the Sunbelt has been playing this off or not this off season, this, this, this out of conference season, let's call it, hasn't always been, it hasn't been very kind to us in terms of net ranking. Have you looked at the net rankings? I have, and and you know what? Arkansas State found a loophole in the net rankings because road wins count more than a a home win when you're playing kind of that Uh mid-major conferences. Arkansas State, we talked about Little Rock leaving for the Ohio Valley. I think Arkansas State's leaving for the SWAC because (laughs) this week they had games at Arkansas Pine Bluff yeah, at Mississippi Valley. Now, don't get me wrong; they took care of business. They won both the games. Yeah, they weren't blowouts. They were they were the right margin of victory and everything else. Uh huh. But why are you going to a SWAC school? I am told that this was a scheduling a scheduling anomaly that wouldn't happen again in another thousand years. <laughs> but okay, listen, I would explain it to you, Dusty. But there's a lot of physics and science involved. So I don't want to bore our readers. We don't have readers, by the way. Oh, yeah. Our listeners. There you go. But anyway, but the point of the matter is it didn't really help Arkansas State at all. That didn't help Arkansas State at all. In fact, uh, last week, 
the net for Arkansas State was 229. This week, 234. So we played two out-of-conference games on the road and, and did not improve. In fact, we saw our net unimprove by well, about it, five games. Yeah, by about five points. It, it's a bad example because, I mean, let's face it, when you play the SWAC, you, you know, it's, it's the top 68 teams that are going into March mm-hmm. Madness. The SWAC – nine and a half out of 10 times is that 68 team and in Dayton playing for the 16 seed. If they can even get out of Dayton. So not a very strong basketball conference. I think the top is very good with Texas Southern who just recently beat Florida as well as the Southern usually has a pretty good uh, team there as well. And then there's a huge drop off from there down to the bottom of the SWAC. I think if you would have done this with maybe some Southland schools, some Summit, or one of the more prestigious mid-major conferences, I think that that would really help. And that's where the conference needs to get to, is they've got to get more in line with those peer conferences. But let's face it, Tibbs. Arkansas State's not the only Sunbelt program who's suffering this lack of scheduling. Look at who we've got. We've got Louisiana, who's supposed to be pretty good, 211. Georgia State, who's supposed to be the cream of the crop for the Sun Belt this year, at 188. Defending champion, Appalachian State, 183. I mean, we don't have we don't have great quality wins, wins or losses. Now, the only two teams below 100 in net is Texas State, who we kind of expected because Texas State was the regular season champ and they're pretty good. And this year's sort of darling for between you and I, you and I love these guys, South Alabama. South Alabama has a net of 66. They've actually improved from last week's from 68 to 66. They're just getting better. Maybe, could it be that South Alabama is the team that could get into the NCAA tournament on its own steam without having to win the Sun Belt? No, because they're going to win the Sun Belt. (laughs) So I think it's a moot point. But when we look at these net numbers, we're really just like the SWAC. There's the top two, and then there's a huge fall from there. And I don't know – I mean, obviously the the quick and dirty, simple answer is play better games. Well, when we had Jay Walker on – he even said, across the league, the home schedule sucks. No one wants to come to a Sunbelt Conference school. And then when you go on the road, you're pretty much playing the body bag games where it's great if you can sneak up on somebody and get them. But for the most part, you're not going to beat a top 10 Alabama team on the road on a weekend. South Alabama almost did, though. They did. They almost did. Yeah. But you look at even that LSU game. They blew out ULM. They beat pretty handily Texas State. Sure. You look even more recently on a pure conference basis with the SOCON, Mercer's 3-0 and against the Sun Belt. Yeah. We have one game left against Mercer, and that's when Troy goes uh, December 22nd. So a little over a week away, they might be 4-0. And, and that's no knock on Troy or our, our Coach Cross. They just have our number this year, it looks like. Mercer's a good team. Mercer's a good team, but yes. Should we have at least one out of four Sunbelt teams beat a Mercer? I think we should. I think we should have that. I think we should expect that. But, you know, quite frankly, I just shrugged my shoulders. Yeah, it's Mercer. They're, you know, they have a pretty good program. We should be better than Mercer. We, we, should, we, I mean, we should at least compete with Mercer. We should at least split. I, yes. I, I'd, I'd give them two. We'd take two and, and we call it a day. But, you know, it's it's just we got to have better basketball. And, and I do think some help is on the way when you look at, like, James Madison that got their big win over Virginia. But at the same time, us at the bottom of, of these net standings, we got to figure out a way to step up the game because it's only going to get more difficult when you have the likes of Marshall, Old Dominion, James Madison, Southern Miss even coming into the conference. It, it's, it's about to get a lot tighter. Absolutely. Yeah, all right. But we – we're talking about some bad games that 
we've seen with the Sun Belt. But Tuesday is actually sort of pregnant with some interesting matchups. I believe we've got uh, Georgia State is playing Mississippi State. Stark Vegas. We've got Arkansas State playing number 25, Texas Tech. Guns up. And then we have, oh, my God, what's, what's the other game? What's the, the other Cajun. game? What? The Cajuns go to five game of slamma. Cajuns go to Houston, and you're going to that game. I will be there in full effect cheering on the fighting Bob Marlins. <laughs> so you can't even bring yourself to cheer for uh, the, the Cajuns against Houston. I'm cheering for the Sun Belt. Okay, great. Okay, I got you. All right, yeah. All right, good. You know what? I, I will likely to... wear a red shirt also. Do you think Ben Moore were, if he were in the position of like watching Georgia Southern play, uh, I don't know, Memphis, do you think that he could get himself to work himself up to root for Georgia Southern? No way in hell. <laughs> I don't think so either. That's why I'm so proud of you, Tibbs. You know, you, 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 looking at the big picture here, you're saying we need this net. We need to swish this net for the good of the Sun Belt. I'm also trying to improve my reputation in Lafayette when, when I go to meet their associate AD and introduce myself. He goes, oh, I know who you are. Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, shit. A couple other big games coming up after what you call Super Tuesday. Yeah. Lamar and Texas State. I always like these in-state rivalries. I like that, uh, you know, they're pretty regional for recruiting. Another possibility win over the WAC. I think, the, I think your, your boob cats go off and get the win over the Cardinals. Uh-huh. The game I'm most excited about coming up. Let's hear it. The Mountaineers okay. are going to Cameron Indoor Arena to face Duke. You know, I don't think I even realized they're going to go play Duke. When does that happen? Thursday. That's a good game. Coach K's final season and, and the potential of a Sunbelt upset in his final year. Oh, my God. And the Sunbelt – it, it, with the Sunbelt champion being the one to deliver that death blow. Whoa, that's a storyline right there. It would be great. Yeah. I'm sure that – our, our friends at Appalachian State, should they win that game, Dusty, would handle it with sort of grace and humility and, and a palm and just, just sort of, you know, be real chill about that victory, don't you think? And the Flying Tiger Warhawk beer will, will flow in the streets. <laughs> you know what? Here's my thing, Tibbs. I think that you can put Sunbelt teams into three buckets right now. You can put them in these, these are good team bucket. You can put the, these are really bad teams bucket. And you might put like UALR. And then you have a bigger bucket that you just have no idea if they're good or bad. I put Arkansas State in that bucket. Because you look at Arkansas State and they have some really good pieces. For instance, they got a lot of guys in the top five for, uh, in categories for the Sun Belt and some national categories too. They got, and then they're seven and two, but they're seven and two against some really weird ass teams. So you have no idea if this team is good or bad. It sounds like to me, you're kind of saying that about ULM too. Maybe they're okay. Maybe they're not okay. We don't know because we haven't really seen a really good level of play and we won't really know until December, at the end of December, when we start playing each other. Yeah, and, and you know, we collectively in that that middle bucket of, of question marks there, we got to kind of cheddar get off the pot here pretty soon because we're just a couple weeks away from the conference starting. Of, yeah. uh, December 30th is when all the conference games start, and then there's the quick turnaround that a lot of teams are playing also on the first as well. And so you, you it's, it's really make or break time right now. Yeah, and if we don't do well on Super Tuesday, and if Appalachian State gets embarrassed by Duke, which is a good chance that's going to happen because they're Duke and it's at Cameron and it's hard to play there. And if we just can't pick up a solid win against Mercer, oh my God, if we cannot even get a win against Mercer, 
then yeah, the Sun Belt's going to be once again one bid league team, which we didn't expect they'd be a two bid anyway this season. But we will still not quite have seen a a a, a pickup in 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 talent that we keep hoping we're going to see year after year. Right now, we're just not seeing it. We need we need somebody to show us. South Alabama has been the closest, I think, that has shown us that okay, we could have a good team in the Sun Belt. But they're portal heavy. They're not homegrown, and may, but and maybe that's what the Sun Belt has to kind of do is go. Okay, well, we're just going to have to be that sort of landing point for players that just want to get some minutes. They're not getting the minutes where they're going. So, hey, by the way, let me let me ask you this, Tibbs, about portals. Going back to portal, you know, we keep asking ourselves, what is the motivation for a lot of these players? Do you think maybe playing time is the number one motivation? Like you, you get these guys that, you know, maybe they're second string or maybe they had some of their, their, their time cut and they're like, listen, I, I can't prove to people who I am unless I'm out in the field. If that means I have to go to grambling to do it, I'm going to go to grambling. Do you think that's part of the thing that drives some of these players? Everyone's a five-star in their mind. <laughs> Everybody bets on themselves, right? And, and, and so I think that that definitely plays a factor into it. And I think it's also kind of the microwave society there that, you know, we want everything, we want everything right now and people don't want to wait and learn the playbook thoroughly. They don't want to go through a year of strength and conditioning. They want to just go straight from graduation out onto the field and become all Americans. It's very rare that that actually happens. And and, and so it takes time for you to really learn how to play college football, almost like that full red shirt year. And I think a lot of guys, I I remember ULM had a running back several years ago that was three-star running back. He was all state first team, like an honorable mention, all American, you know, high school wise, two-time state champion, you know, everything down the, the list. He was the man. He steps foot even right across the river coming from West Monroe, Louisiana to Monroe, Louisiana. He's just a freshman. That's a running back. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, you're our, you're our future running back, but for right now you're on scout team. <laughs> and, and, and he even said that that was one of the hardest and most humbling things that he's ever had to go through in his life was just being forced to take that step back and, and really focus on learning himself and learning how to play football. Something that, you know, he he was like, oh, I know how to play football. I've been playing since I was five years old. Yeah, I think but I know, how. know the ins and outs, the conditioning and everything it takes to be a D1 athlete. And what the portal does is just takes that 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 away, because if you're a kid who is like your West Monroe kid who goes to Monroe and he's been told all his life he's the best and he has been the best, at least in his pond, comes into a bigger pond. And suddenly he's not the bee's knees. And now it used to be, all right, well, I have no choice. I have to suck it up, listen to my coaches, listen to my elders, learn the playbook, become a better football player. Or, But now it's, or I can jump in the portal and have people tell me I'm great all over again. I mean, that must be a drug, Dusty, to have people recruiting you and telling you how fabulous you are and how you're going to fit in with the team and that you're going to be a center point and all that, that must be one hell of a drug for an 18, 19, 20 year old kid. I mean, I would like to be told that. I would too. Over and over. I think that we've come a long way and this is a a way non-sports related rant that I've always had. When you commit, that's your commitment. That's where you've said you've vetted. That's where you want to be, where you want to go. And I feel like it's more of a temporarily a temporary assignment, good old TDY, like they say in the military. And, and instead of kind of seeing things through the thick, the thin, and everything else, you know, there's a lot of people even that are like, "Why are you a ULM fan? Why why do you like ULM?" Well, that's where it's I went to school. Yeah. You know, that's where I went to school. That's where I met my wife. If I wouldn't have gone to school there, I wouldn't have this degree. Wouldn't be able to have the house the the car, the kids, the student loan debt and everything else that goes along with it. But it's the loyalty side. And I think that that's a lot of what's lost in this day and age of recruiting and student athletes. See, 
Tibbs, you committed to ULA. I did. And if you could have transferred, you could have transferred to LSU. It would have been easier. Your life would have been easier, right? Everybody at Louisiana loves LSU. You would have fit right in. You would have been part of the party. But you said, no, I'm committed to ULM. These are the people who stood by me. And, Dan, I'm going to stand by them. Exactly. Yeah. True and true. so we got a lot of people in the portal who a school said, we're going to stand by you. All we ask is that you learn the playbook, that you obey the rules. And some of these kids are kind of like, no. No, I, I forget all that. Forget all that you stand by me. I, I'm going somewhere else who's going to even stand closer by me. That's just crazy. But maybe we're just old men, Tibbs. Maybe we just don't understand the, the way of the world anymore. I mean, and let's face it. When you have coaches that can just leave at the drop of the hat when the money's a little better somewhere else, that's not a very good lessons, lesson for kids to take. They look at what these coaches are doing and go, hey, why can't I improve my fortunes by moving on and not have to not have to take a you know an ounce of criticism for it? So I don't know. Maybe maybe the whole system of college football is a little broke. But I will tell you this, Tibbs. I do believe there'll be an evening out portion for the portal. I think a lot of people are learning when you jump in the portal, you may not come out as good as you were hoping you were going to come out. You're not gonna, there's not going to be a pile of rosy offers waiting for you. You're just another guy in the portal, bub. Hopefully somebody noticed. Probably they didn't. You probably should have stuck with what you had, got your education, took your scholarship, enjoyed your time with your mates on the field, and then moved on with your life. It's definitely frustrating. It's, I mean, it's frustrating all around whenever you start hearing all the numbers of, you know, the coaches being able to leave for that, kids unable to. But, you know, I, I think, again, maybe it's just me. When you make that commitment and you, and you have the bills paid for, and by that I mean, you know, room and board, tuition, sure. books, take it. Take advantage of it. Absolutely. Um, because there's been a lot of guys that have gone into the portal that are homeless. And I don't mean like they're living under the bridge downtown. I mean, like they're no longer student athletes being able to play at the D1, D2, D3, any level. So you, you got to make sure. And, and, and I think that's part of the, the life lesson and, and part of growing and maturing that you have to really force upon these, these student athletes is just knowing that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. That being said, Dusty, look at South Alabama, a team comprised of a lot of transfers, and they are currently the best team in the Sun Belt. So maybe, maybe that's how future winners are going to be made. But look at your boob cats on, on the gridiron. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Transfers. Yeah. The yin and the yang. Maybe it doesn't work in football. Perhaps it works in basketball. Because let's face it, if you get two good guys in basketball, you're gold, right? Do you just, you honestly just need two great guys and then some role players. If you can do that, maybe the transfer portal is much more potent in basketball than it is in football. Maybe what we're seeing is a new way to build a basketball team. And we're seeing that from South Alabama. For our plugs, promos, parting shots, everyone's making fun of the big guy. The seven-foot, like, 400-pounder that tripped yeah. and fell but then got the assist on the basketball play. Good for oh. him. Yeah. We always like the big guys anyway. I was more disappointed that he was at the top at the key and not down on the blocks just creaming some guy that's, you know, 6'3 and uh -huh. 120 pounds and yeah. just going through him with a dunk at the goal. That's what I wanted to see, not him tripping yeah. and falling, even though he uh -huh. didn't assist. So that's definitely my parting shot. Mm, very philosophical. Promos and plugs. Obviously, National Signing Day is coming up on Wednesday. WarhawkReport.com will have the latest on ULM's early signees for the December signing period. Be sure to check us out, Warhawk Report. Also, check out Funbelt PC, our Twitter account for the podcast for our guest announcement for Wednesday, as well as whatever other kind of antics we throw out there. All, all of us have access to that Twitter account, so there's no telling who has control of it and what they're putting out there. And then, of course, Flying Tiger Brewery, flyingtigerbeer.com. Thank you for the beer. 
the Warhawk beer this week. Great, excellent stuff. And looking forward to maybe they'll send us another six pack, Jeremy. I hope they send me a six pack. Maybe they would win me as a fan. My allegiances are for sale for for as little as a six pack of beer. I might be a Warhawk fan. My parting shot is that with the early signing period coming, this is another maybe an old man thing, but it used to be in February when you would have the signing day, it was almost like a holiday. You know, you'd wait for that long period of time in December and January where all the recruiting wasn't go- was going on and there'd be some last second poaching that would either make you happy or make you furious. There's all this stuff that built into it and the day would come and the faxes would come in and, and that one fax wouldn't come in and you'd be like, oh my God, what happened to player X? And they, they end up, oh, he's like going to the junior college or he's, he's going to Auburn or something like that and you'd scream. But it was just a roller coaster of emotions. And somehow, I, you know what, I, I kind of like the early signing period because it gives me something to look at on December 15th. And then it gives me a bundle of dudes to like look through and go, oh, wow, this guy's going to make a make a real contribution. And, and you also feel like, OK, I, we got him early, so there's no chance he's going to bail on me uh, on the, in, in, in February. So I'm happy with that. But some of the magic has been lost. And uh, I, I don't know if I want it back. I don't know if it needs to come back. I don't know what the transfer portal is going to do to all this because it seems to be having a wild effect on all of this process. But uh, if, it, if it were to go away, if it were to go back to a, a February signing day, ultimate signing day, I wouldn't miss it. Uh, my plug, uh, check out HowRazor.com. I've been following the A-State basketball team a little bit trying to figure out if they're good or not uh so far uh it's still up in the air i guess we'll see with texas tech on tuesday uh as for uh, as for us we hope to see ben on wednesday and our super secret guest that's not so secret coming out wednesday and uh we'll see you later 